And he must have a firm grasp of the unchanging message so that he can be counted on both for giving encouragement in sound doctrine and for refuting those who argue against it. WSFI 88.5 FM presents Reclamation Theology with Kyle Clement. Hello and welcome to this first Friday episode of Reclamation Theology with Kyle Clement. I'm your host, Angela Tomlinson, and Marianne Harold from our sister station, WQPH, is also with me. Kyle Clement is loyal to the Magisterium of the Roman Catholic Church. He's been involved in the curriculum, consultation, formation of priests and laity relating to Catholic liberation and exorcism for over 15 years. A member of the Religious Association Societas Matris Dolorissime, he and Father Chad Ripperger, his superior, provide instruction, evaluation, case investigation, and consultation to dioceses throughout the world. And Marianne, you're there. Yes, I am. Amen. Okay. So, Kyle, what will we be talking about this morning? I think that it's opportune. We do well always and everywhere to talk about the formation, maintenance, and utilization of a Catholic conscience. And so this is a concept we don't often think about is we are charged with forming our intellect, maintaining our intellect, and then using our intellect as well as our will, the rational quality of the human person, that which separates us from the animals, that which is an aspect of the image of God that rational quality. So we most first must form it uh, correctly, then it must be maintained correctly, and then it must be utilized correctly. So as we work through that, I think it'll give uh, the listeners uh, just some very functional things to do, some very real things to do, and some very uh, concrete uh, landmarks. Um, it, and I'll start with a quote. I want to keep coming back to this quote. Venerable Fulton Sheen made a very, very poignant observation, and he said, right is right even when no one is. Right is right even when no one is. Now, in, uh, in light of that, I'm going to recite a prayer um, that we're using in our classes and and we're using in various places but I, I really want to promote this prayer especially now and so here is the prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit Amen all good and holy God Father Son and Holy Spirit to you alone do we offer right praise and heartfelt worship you are the author of life and the true source of every blessing you alone are worthy of our adoration. You created the world as a gift to humanity, that we may see your goodness and beauty around us and offer praise to you as the sole creator. By your decree, you gave us the first commandment that no created thing, whether it be the earth itself, any created being, or anything formed by the hand of man should be bowed down to as an idol. Forgive and be merciful to those who fail to heed this divine law. We implore the maternal protection of the Blessed Virgin Mary, our Heavenly Mother, and exterminatrix of all heresy. May she crush the serpent of this age and help us to recognize the dangerous spiritual contagion of our day. Insulate your church from error and protect the Pope, 
all cardinals, bishops, clergy, and laity from falling into apostasy, idolatry, schism, or blasphemy. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I'm reading from a prayer card. Uh, for those of you who have the visual, this is the prayer card. And this card may be found. It's uh, Holy Mary, ho Most Holy and Ever Virgin Mary, Exterminatrix of All Heresies. Pray for us and protect the church from all error. Very, very uh, appropriate prayer for this day and age. You may find this prayer at www.catholicprayercards.org. So Catholic conscience, this idea of understanding not only who we are, but how we think. First of all, uh, St. Thomas gives us very, very clear instruction. Incidentally, St. Thomas is still the preeminent theologian of the Catholic Church. He is a doctor of the Church, and he settled many issues and controversies that were adopted into magisterial holy writ. And so the idea that you can debate what this saint said on particular subjects um, is, is an it's a non sequitur, it's an incorrect statement, because this has definitively been settled and codified by councils, by formal councils, not pastoral councils, by formal councils, which set doctrine and dogmas, not which made recommendations, pastoral recommendations. So understand that we have different levels of understanding, we have different levels of theology, we have different levels of doctrine and dogma. So the, a good place always and everywhere to start is that the understanding that one statement, if a statement is made, then it has to conform to the previous statements which were declared as doctrine and dogma. In other words, I cannot say something in opposition to bona fide doctrine or, or dogma of the Catholic Church, I cannot say something that is in conflict with that. It doesn't matter who I am. It doesn't matter what office I occupy. It has to conform to the sense of fide, the, the sense of tradition and faith and, and, and doctrine that precedes it. So if it does not, then it's, incons it's an inconsistent statement and one that should cause distress. What is distress? Distress is the physiological response to an untruth or something that's incompatible with our faith. And so we're in an age of great distress, great angst. Uh, why? Because there, uh, the church is under attack both from within and from without. And so it's, it's, it's irrelevant to, to talk about names or talk about specific instances when you can form your Catholic conscience to be used in any given situation, um, it's an instrument which is a universal instrument. So how do you form your Catholic conscience? First of all, with the absolute truths, virtue gives us an, and the discussion of virtues gives us an excellent template. Now, just in the same way that the Catholic promulgation and understanding of the Ten Commandments is different than the Protestant one version, the Protestants moved away from the traditional Ten Commandments. And so they moved away and combined and, and, uh, and changed that. And so it's subtle. They still have ten, but it's not quite the ranking and primacy and importance of the way 
uh, Catholicism has always done it. Incidentally, Catholicism is not a denomination. We are the church. Everything else is a denomination, meaning a naming less than or a taking from. And so we, the Catholic Church is not a denomination. It is the one true church. This is doctrine and dogma. So if your modern ear is hearing that with an ecumenical uh, queasiness, if you will, or an idea that, well, that's not nice or we don't need to be judgmental, then beware of these things because these are tatters on the integrity. These are tatters or chinks in the integrity of your Catholic conscience. What is the Catholic conscience? It is that way by which I tell I can determine clean from unclean. St. Ignatius said this is discernment, is the ability to tell clean from unclean. What will take me closer to or further from God? Uh, that is the key question. So to form that Catholic conscience, we have to adhere to the, the Catholic understanding of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Athanasius, in the Athanasian Creed, speaks to this, to settle the Arian heresy. And it gives us the language of begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Through him, all things were made. It is the acknowledgement and understanding of exactly who each person of the Trinity is. While the Trinity is somewhat a mystery, it's a functional mystery. It's not such a mystery that uh, we simply avoid the discussion of it or the understanding of it. So we have several ways that we can help understand it. First one uh, is you'll hear some some uh, holy language or some rep repetitive language in prayers and in the liturgy. There's been systematic efforts to erase these um, recognizable phrases that speak to doctrine and dogma. We must reclaim those. So one of those phrases is in the confidior, and uh, when we the penitential rite at the beginning of mass. There were only there's only been options for that of late. The confidior for centuries was I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts, in my words, and in my deeds. So it is in that confession of venial sin preparatory to the holy mass that we as a community are cleansed of venial sin and ready to participate in the mysteries of the Mass. Modernly, what happens is we have a permanent deacon intone immediately, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. And so there's not a penitential right. There is a commanding of God to have mercy on us. Our Lord, you did this and this, Lord have mercy. And so we see a shift um, even in as early as in this penitential rite, and there has been a systematic removal from the, the modern mass. There's been a systematic removal of the penitential rite, the confidior from that. And so we've gone to alternate ways, um, alternate penitential rites. So if this abrades your conscience, then good it should <laughs> because that that penitential right that confession of sin and sins of thought word and deed so i want to focus on thought word deed thought word deed these are the persons these are indicative representative of the persons of the holy trinity god the father the unseen god the omnipresent god the creator this is the god of thought 
Then when he speaks, the word becomes flesh and dwelt among us. The word in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and nothing that came to be came to be without him. This is Jesus. And then deed. This is the charity of the Holy Spirit. This is the this is the movement of the soul in response to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which is manifest as love of neighbor for love of God. And so you've got a very functional movement and Trinitarian uh, foundation for thought, word, and deed. So let's take that over into the area of um, virtue. So. What happens is the soul begins to respond as an orchestra. All different parts of the soul begin to wake up and begin to respond to the world and people around us when we are using these various methodologies to form our Catholic conscience, to maintain it, and then to use it. So it's almost as if you're developing an ear uh, for harmony among the instruments. And so, and it, and it, cre- it, it requires all of these instruments to have this spiritual symphony that is nourishing to the soul. And so what are the three theological virtues? The infused virtues are faith, hope, and charity. Faith in God the Father leads us to hope and everlasting life through the Christ, leads us to the manifestation of charity among our neighbors, which is indicative of the Holy Spirit. So now you see this uh, this, these connections being made. So these spiritual synapses are starting to fire in our soul so that we see that faith is thought, move and made articulate by hope. You can't contain this hope and it's then shared with others in the community. And so faith, hope and charity, the infused theological virtues, which the soul becomes open to when? At baptism, once the indelible mark is made on the the person and their sins or original sin is washed away, you see that the theology is is impeccably uh, interwoven, intertwined. You can't separate it out. And so this understanding of, of faith, hope, and charity as indicative of the persons of the Holy Trinity, God the Father, Christ the Son, and the Holy Ghost, then we see that when we're confessing these sins, if you have a sin of despair, futility, uh, worry, who is that sin against? It's a sin against Christ. It's a sin against the hope that is ushered in by um, the salvific sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And then if we fail to act, if, if we lose hope and despair, then all of us know you, you can't be charitable to another person. You can't be loving in another person in a pure and unconditional way, such as God's love, if there's there's this cloud of worry, this this cloud of, of despair, which is sins against hope. And then faith, ultimately, faith is a denial of God's omnipresence, his almighty status. And it is a... Um, we, we're dangerously close to this when we put anthropomorphic projections on God and says, God wants this. God did not want you to suffer. God did not want. God does not want. God wills. God wills. This vote. God wills. That's what God does. That's when we clear up our understanding and take the Protestant deviations and the non-Christian deviations out of this. 
then you get a very clear understanding of what is right, what is wrong, what is true, what is not true, what is clean, what is unclean. And so to associate with the those who do not profess the Trinitarian doctrine and dogma the way we as Catholics not only understand it, but it's simply the way it is. It is reality. And so it's not something to debate. It, you would think I would be absurd if I were to want to debate the law of gravity. Well, gravity may not work for you the same way it works for me. Yeah, it's pretty much the same. 32 feet per second squared, objects fall to the earth. Gravity is gravity. Um, God is God. Christ is Christ. He is God. The Holy Spirit is God. This, it's not something different. It is not something else. It is unique, yet the same. And so, in the same way that I am uh, a son, a father, a husband, I am all of those things in one person, but they're, two, they're three very different titles and functions. And so, this understanding of the Trinity is very, very important, and to protect that is extremely important. We see the first attack on this Trinitarian understanding or the understanding of God. We see the very first attack on this in the garden. All subsequent sin is based on that very first attack, whereby Eve is contemplating, she's sinning in her mind, she's thinking and, and beholding the fruit, then the serpent gives voice to her deviant thought, her evil thought, her disordered thought, and questions God's, not only his motive, but his commandment. So in the garden, what we have is the first ecumenical theological dialogue, and all subsequent ecumenical theological dialogue follows the same template whereby we as Catholics are called to defend our faith. We should not. We should proclaim our faith. Prior to Martin Luther, that's what we did, is we proclaimed a faith entire and whole. We, uh, we proclaimed um, the seamless garment of the Catholic faith entire and whole, without apology. After Martin Luther, we give up the high ground. We give up the totality of truth, you know, totality of doctrine and dogma. Some of you have heard me use this analogy before, but the properly formed Catholic conscience, the properly formed Catholic, it is as if we are fully armored knight sitting on top of a bulwark of an impenetrable castle. And a naked man with a stick appears below and says, come down and fight me. Instead of saying, lay down your stick, come inside, we will clothe you and we will feed you and we will educate you. These are all spiritual analogies. Instead of saying that, we as apologists promptly say, Duh, okay, and we take off our armor and we go outside and we don't have a stick. And so now we find ourselves naked, underarmed, outside of our bulwark of faith, outside of the Catholic Church, and we're easily beat up. This has been a, this is essentially what the snake did to Eve. Defend your faith. Defend what God said. I will not. I do not have to, and I will not. And so the properly formed conscience simply says, explain your apostasy. Explain why it's now okay, why you're saying it's now okay to do these things which have traditionally not been okay. 
which doctrine and dogma, moral theologians, and centuries of teaching have said, you are not justified in these actions. You cannot do these actions. Now suddenly we've got malformed and deformed clerics and others telling us we can. Case in point is this vaccine issue. I'll come back to that a little bit later. But ultimately, we want to touch on that. We want to touch on many, many things. So faith, hope, and charity are the persons of the Holy Trinity. This understanding that these virtues are infused, but they cannot grow unless we provide a medium in for them to grow. For instance, if we complain against God the Father, if we have doubts against God the Father, if we uh, are angry at God for the death of a loved one or an illness, whatever it may be, if we have anger at God, then this, this is a sin against faith. If we place ourselves over God, this is a sin against faith. If we worry about the disposition of the soul of another, if we worry about the behavior of another, if we worry about our own circumstances, if we worry about death, bottom line, if you are concerned about death from this pandemic or from any other cause, if you worry about death, this is a sin against hope. Bottom line, Catholicism is a rapier sharp tool to navigate the temporal jungle to reach a spiritual end. And this, we're not using it. We're cowering as if it's a dull stick. It is a razor sharp machete of great weight that will hack its way through the brush of ten temporal concerns and, and lead you to the spiritual goal. But you must wield it. You must use it. You must let it move you. The claymore is a 24 to 28 pound broadsword. And when you begin to swing it with two hands, it doesn't matter how big the man is. When you begin to swing it to clear the path in front of you and to fight the enemy, it moves you. It moves your body. So should proper Catholicism. It moves us to genuflect, to kneel, to, to make the sign of the cross, to bow at the holy name of Jesus. It moves us as we move our conscience, as we allow our conscience to affect our will properly and rightly ordered, then our body language speaks of what's happening in our intellect. We are a stiff-necked people. Uh, we, we do not want to subject ourselves to anything other than ourselves. This is, this is a key point. The three theological virtues dispose us to increasing grace, to increasing clarity, to the ability to not only discern clean from unclean, but the strength of will to do something about it. And so faith, God the Father, hope, Christ the Son, and life everlasting, and then charity is the, the pure desire to share with others not only the gospel message, but the fruits of salvation which could be can be had here today, which is the reparation of sin, to address the sins that we have done, the sins of others, to prepare ourselves for life everlasting, to do, to, to fulfill the purgative way as much as possible here with flesh, while we have flesh with which to do it, flesh with which to mortify, to pray, to seek God, to do devotion, to do prayer, to do those things temporally which have eternal value. And so 
this leads us to the four cardinal virtues. And I'm going to go through them very, very quickly, and then we'll come back and, and pick up some points. The four cardinal virtues in the, in the ordering that St. Thomas, not that one is greater than the other, he says it's simply um, beneficial, especially with the training of novices and the training of a Catholic conscience to go through them in this order. And they are prudence, temperance, fortitude, and justice. We just completed a parish mission at St. Joseph Catholic Church in uh, Asheville, uh, North Carolina. And so you may access that on the web um, through their website and, and listen to those podcasts. I, we spend um, two hours on each one of these topics, the, the daughters, the card, four cardinal virtues and their 64 daughters. And so this understanding of virtue and how it operates is is key to the Catholic conscience. So I would instruct you there. Uh, these are uh, what we would had them do is they would listen to a talk by Father Ripperger on the particular virtue, and then I would speak on on the concrete ways one can address these virtues. But prudence, very simply, what to do and when to do it, knowing what to do and when to do it. And so these are, it, it sounds simple, but there are so many moving parts to prudence, knowing what to do and when to do it. This, uh, there's a certain amount of experience. There's a certain amount of openness to the movement of the Holy Spirit. There's a certain amount of, of purity. Does it conform to tradition? So knowing what to do and when to do it, very, very uh, key in forming the Catholic conscience. And so always and everywhere, our arbiter is that in the pursuit of the good. So these virtues are defined, and then the subtitle is in pursuit of the good. The ultimate good is God, not temporal comfort, not corporal pleasure, not the corporal works of mercy, but rather the spiritual works of mercy. This is one of the areas where Catholic conscience has been systematically deformed, and we see this today. And that is that the corporal works of mercy have been elevated over the temporal works of mercy. The corporal works of mercy have been elevated over the spiritual works of mercy. And so what I'm saying is the salvation of souls has the primacy. Our Lord said this. He continued to say it all the way through, uh, all the way through his public ministry, all the way through his appearances after the resurrection. Um, this is a, an element that we've lost. If we are more concerned um, with filling a belly than filling a soul, then we have a problem. And you see this rife throughout the church and immediately as they can't hear the message if they're hungry. They can most hear the message when they're hungry. This is a, an element we've departed. The, the whole idea that the corporal existence supersedes the spiritual existence, this is extremely dangerous. We see it in our hierarchy. We hear it in our homilies. We see it in our teaching orders. We see this idea that the concern uh, for the earth, go back to that prayer we said at the beginning. This is the elevation of creature over creator. And this is a disordering. In this moment, we become ad hominem, ad populum, rather than ad orientum. If we lose the focus on God through the spiritual works of mercy, then the corporal works of mercy are useless. So, this is an area that we've, that we've got to reclaim individually. We've got to reclaim it uh, in our families. And then it will start to affect um, our communities. So prudence, knowing what to do and when to do it, 
to achieve the good. Also, the understanding that in prudence, one of the big tenets in, in our faith is that the ends cannot justify the means. You cannot bring good fruit from a rotten tree. You can't... Um, you can't redistribute wealth, goods, any of these things in a confiscatory or a uh, adversarial way. This has to be about the conversion of all souls, the rich as well as the poor. This has to be about the conversion of, of all souls. And this brings me to another point, because requisite with this is the use of some buzzwords, um, self-identification, and it's gone to absurdity. The Catholic conscience helps you know exactly who you are. Prudence helps you know exactly who you are, where you are in the cosmos, where you are in the, in the cosmic scheme of things. This idea of self-identification outside of reality is absolutely absurd. So, if I tell you that today I'm identifying as a seven-foot-tall black woman, if you can see me, most of you who can hear me would chuckle because that's absurd. Well, what happens when a politician identifies, self-identifies as a Catholic yet has an unblemished promotion record of abortion? doesn't matter what he says he is. doesn't matter what he claims to be, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. It is not, it can't be a duck identifying as a bear in order to endear himself to other bears. One of the things about the Catholic conscience is we are the small boy who says the emperor has no clothes. We are Captain Obvious. You may want to say you're a Catholic. You may go to mass. You may present yourself for the Eucharist. You do not behave as one. And so that is the key, is to understanding, are you who you say you are? St. Paul, does your yes mean yes? Does your no mean no? Are you who you say you are? Then either become who you say you are or stop doing the things which are inconsistent with who you say you are. Now, I'm speaking to prelates. I'm speaking to priests. I'm speaking to laymen. I'm speaking to anybody and every everybody. If you are a husband and a father, then be a husband and a father. You cannot look at certain things. You cannot think certain things. You can't do certain things or go certain places because it's inconsistent with your vocation. When people in positions of leadership, fathers of families, domestic churches, as well as cardinals, archbishops, bishops, priests, when they speak in contrary to their vocation, contrary to the faith, then this raises up a distress and an, and an anxiety in the soul of, souls of those whom they are supposed to lead. And very, very quickly, we as sheep find ourselves in a howling wasteland of modernism and relativism, which is devoid of any of the landmarks of true faith, tradition, virtue, even scripture. You've led us, shepherds, you have led us into a, a wasteland, a range that we do not know. And we as the old rams are going to stop at the margin of this howling wasteland and say, we will follow you no further. Common sense 
at some point says, suddenly, because of modern circumstances, something is not now permissible that was impermissible or was immoral for centuries. No sale. This is the Catholic conscience in action. It's properly formed through the virtues, faith, hope, and charity. And then that cardinal virtue of prudence says, I cannot go here. Knowing what to do and when to do it. When the sheep balks, when they stop, when their failure to follow has to, to go deep into the shepherd's heart and says, why will they no longer follow? Because you're leading them someplace that is bad for them and they know it. And their love of you and their obedience for you will not override their Catholic conscience, will not override what they know to be true. Somewhere about 30 years ago, priests began telling us what was sin and what was not sin in the confessional. Prior to that, they understood that we had a functional Catholic conscience, and I'm confessing it because it's causing me distress. It's not to be dismissed. So now, modernly, what we have is counselors instead of confessors. Find a confessor. Find someone that will hold you into account, and he will help you hone an edge onto your Catholic conscience, which lets you hack through these temp this temporal brush. So the next one is temperance. Temperance is most interesting in um, St. Thomas's definition because we modernly um, define temperance as uh, a moderation of activity. St. Thomas goes much, much deeper. I'll take a little bit of a sidebar here and tell you that it's, it's most disappointing and egregious when we have prelates who have written a series. We have a bishop who has written a series, and the, the virtues are simply methods to counter vice. When we do this, we turn St. Thomas's teaching upside down. Vices militate against virtue. Virtue has the purity, the primacy. And so the virtues are not some tool or disposition or discipline to, to combat vice. They're something to be cultivated, to be maintained, to be established, and vice comes against them. It may seem like a trifle, but it's a very important thing because what has happened is we've redefined the virtues from the way St. Thomas did it to the seven deadly sins, their vices, and which virtues oppose them. This gives the primacy to the diabolical, the primacy to the sin. And this is a disorder. So in temperance, St. Thomas goes beyond behavior, and he says it is a moderation of the attraction. Listen to that. A moderation of attraction and desire, first and foremost. Because St. Thomas says, essentially, if you can't purify the, the appetites, the desires, the attractions, then it's going to be almost impossible to purify the action. Very, very key. We as Catholics used to understand this, that we had to purify our thoughts before we could purify our words and our deeds. Oftentimes and modernly, we're taught to confess only the deed. It, it is preceded by the thought. St. Thomas knew this. The other uh, patriarchs knew this. The fathers of the church knew this. And they talked about the purity of thought. Another area here is with regard to purity of thought is we've got a deviant um, element in theology, and especially in the last 50 years, 60 years, where we've got lay theologians who are not living a life of virginal purity, who are not reading the scriptures with that purity, who are not studying our, our Lord uh, and faith and, and doctrine with that purity of 
vocation, a religious vocation. And so they're bringing these outside elements in. And and you've got people, you, you've got women teaching in seminaries. You've got lay people teaching in seminaries that are not religious, that are not properly formed. And some of them are not Catholic. Um, even within the orders that are charged with maintaining the faith, uh, chief among them is the Society of Jesus that has fallen so low from where their uh, founder, St. Ignatius, was charged with preserving the faith in light of the Reformation. We've got now this ecumenical outreach to where we see this Jesuitical thought corroding and, and, and deforming um, the very the very foundation of our Catholic education and understanding. And so it is this rampant, um, rabid ecumenicism that is really the, the um, focus of attack from within the church. And, and it's where the outside meets the inside. It's the fifth column. Uh, if, for those of you who don't know that reference is the fifth column was a column of dis- of dissenters inside uh, government, which uh, allows a coup to happen. So you've got an attack from all four directions. Those are the four main columns. And then you've got the fifth column, which will be those sympathizers inside. We are seeing this in the coup that, that is happening, um, the cultural coup that is happening in our country. And that's no less than what we're seeing is a cultural coup where those which are against the, the purity of faith, those that are against Christianity, those that are against virtue um, are, are resting control, um, are, are taking control uh, of our governments. And so to understand that, that temperance moderates the desire, the attraction and the desire. And in that moderation of attraction and desire, then <clears throat> we can moderate action, thought and action. There are many other daughters, so I'm skipping over that. Fortitude is the willingness to engage the arduous, again, to achieve the good. So this is something that we as a snowflake society, we become a a society of snowflakes. We see this all the time. I get multiple inquiries uh, through the society of the most sorrowful mother to investigate extraordinary diabolical phenomenon. And what I would propose to you is this, is that um, modernly any type of adversity is is designated as extraordinary because we're not used to adversity. We want the easy path. We want the effeminate path. We want the pleasurable path. And so we, any kind of adversity, we either take it as we shouldn't do the thing or uh, it's extraordinary adversity. In the back of the Roman Missal is almost a throwaway line at the beginning of the section on prayer. And it says, prayer is a battle. Wow, prayer is a battle. Exactly. We've known this for centuries. We've known this from since day one. Relationship with God is a battle as a result of our fallen nature. And so a battle does not, it, it's spiritual warfare. It's not spiritual negotiation. This military imagery is something that's been with the church um, since the beginning. And then the last of the theological, I mean, the last of the corporal virtues is one that I want to spend a little bit of time on. And so let me check our time. And so I want to spend just a little bit of time on the last um, cardinal virtue, which is justice. Major misunderstanding of this one. Major misunderstanding of justice. If you understand justice correctly, then your Catholic conscience is 
complete um, as far as your toolkit, your virtue toolkit, and then the ability to, to listen with a just ear. So here's justice. Justice in St. Thomas's de- de- definition is very, it's a very curt definition. Render another his due. To render another his due. It's not to give each creature his due. That's modern phraseology. It's to render another his due. So let's parse out those five words. Render. He didn't say give. Render. In rendering, it is a it is goes beyond giving. It is a bringing forth. It is a an acknowledgement that this in fact belonged to the other first. It, it's almost the, this, the understanding of bailment. When I give you something for safekeeping and then I come to you and I say, now render unto me what is mine. This is in the story of Tobit. This is in various uh, things. When, when the master comes back to the talents, uh, to the, the servants he had entrusted the talents. So to render is the understanding that the source was not mine. This is not mine. It, it's beyond me. I'm acting at most as a steward. So what does that call? It immediately calls us to the understanding that all justice must come from and serve God. So give another. Who is the other? Who is the primary other in all of our lives, in all of the world, in all of creation? The primary other is God the creator. So all justice must be vertically oriented. It must first come vertically. It must be <coughs> established vertically before it can be spread horizontally. Please see the sign of the cross. It must first orient, be orientated to the creator and flow vertically into your heart, into your conscience, into your intellect, into your will, and then down into the other faculties before it becomes functional justice, divine justice on a horizontal plane or within the community or within society. So to give another his due, we must first and foremost give to God what is due him. What is due him? Worship. We circle back to the holy writ of the prayer with which we started. All heartfelt right worship is reserved to God alone. No creature, no, not the earth, not humanity, not anything else ranks where this is. The old theologians talk about the three levels of veneration as dulia, hyperdulia, and latria. Dulia is that which is due a superior, who is our obvious superior, saints. They are, they are, uh, we owe them, we are obliged to give them veneration and acknowledgement as superior to us through the form of dulia. Hyperdulia is reserved to the Blessed Mother alone. She is queen of saints. She is queen of angels. She is mother of God and as such occupies a place in the cosmos that no other creature occupies, thereby obliging us to offer to her hyperdulia. Then Latria, worship that is due God alone. The three persons of the Holy Trinity are due all right worship, all Latria. And so Latria, worship of God, elevation of God above all things, now opens us to 
divine justice, the understanding that all justice flows through God the Father, Christ the Son, and then the Holy Spirit. There was sacred art that we used to see quite often that showed uh, God the Father uh, supporting the cross on which Christ the Son was suspended and dying. And then the Holy Ghost is bearing witness, ready to take it on the wings of a dove into all the world. On the ground, right facing up, their child between them is the Blessed Mother and God the Father. This is the understanding of mediatrics of all graces. This is the understanding of co-redemptrix. She, no less than he, is giving her son. This is the dulia, hyperdulia, latria. This is that progression. This is that understanding that forms our conscience. So anything that is militates against the Blessed Mother, the sanctity of life, any of these things militates directly against this understanding of justice, of justice. This is why interiorly we don't have to be able to, to give the bioethical argument of why these tainted vaccines abrade divine justice, we don't have to give that argument. We, have, we simply have to say, look at the cross, look at the sacrifice, look at the gut justice that is due God. What is due every, as God now goes down into the cosmos and creation and is due every single creature the opportunity for life that was given by God. There is no set of circumstances that changes this, that mitigates that justice, especially our fear of death now makes it okay for something else, another human to die. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, Catholics of all ages, stand up. Stand up. It does not matter who gets the vaccines. Venerable Fulton Sheen, it does not matter who's right. I mean, <laughs> right is right, even if no one is. Even if no one is. We have not while we see prelates receive vaccines, we don't see prelates in ashes and sackcloth. While we see prelates get vaccine, we do not see prelates relegating themselves to a life of penance and prayer. While we see prelates argue for state, we don't see them argue for church. The primary obligation of each and every one of us as Catholics is to defend the faith, not apologize for it, defend it. Do not allow the culture to overwhelm us without opposition, without us at least opposing. We are the conscience of the culture, be it. It's not a popular place. It is not a popular place. It will become less popular. But right is right, even when no one is. Let us discuss the actions of God the Father, Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and not focus on the actions of men. Let us not be critical and judgmental of, of malformed, deformed, and prelates who may have a good desire in their heart but are misdirected. We don't need to parse that out. Simply, the emperor has clothes or he has no clothes. The actions are consistent with Catholicism 
or they're not. You have a properly formed Catholic conscience. Continue to form it. Continue to maintain it. Continue to wield it as a weapon. Wield it with charity. Wield it with the understanding that we as sheep will not be led into this howling wasteland of relativism and modernism that is devoid of the hallmarks of virtue, doctrine, and dogma, the landmarks that are necessary to navigate this spiritual wasteland. We will not be led into it. So that is um, the formation, maintenance, and utilization of a properly formed Catholic conscience. It's not to trouble you. It's simply to say, be about this job of forming the conscience, sharing the conscience, sharing the faith. And one of the ways that we maintain the universal calibration of our instrument is daily prayers. I highly recommend the Angelus three times a day, six noon six. Let's reclaim our proclamation of the incarnation of the Carl Bachtemest and our Blessed Mother's role in salvation. Let's reclaim this very basic tenet of Catholic faith. The more we can intone the Angelus and get it in the air, the greater uh, a voice we have. Be willing to speak very calmly that these actions are consistent or inconsistent with our Catholic faith. Be willing to use this instrument on yourself and your family. My thoughts are not consistent with the Catholic faith. They're not consistent with salvation. They're not consistent. And confess those thoughts. Find a priest who will listen to your confession and hold you accountable. We are not to cower. We are the church militant, not the church reticent, not the church cowering, not the church hanging out, not the church chilling, not the church going along not to make waves. We are the church. So if you have questions, I would be happy to entertain those questions at this point. Um, Angela, Marianne? Marianne? Okay. Um, well, we obviously you have addressed most of the issues that I wanted to question you about, Kyle, very, very well and with charity. Uh, so uh, we have a, a duty as a, a Catholic commitment to Catholic Radio to support the truth that you're talking about. And also to people come to adoration who are misguided or their consciences have followed the masses and the sheep. What is the best preparation for the leaders like Angela, like you? What do you do to prepare yourself to go into battle? Very, it's a great question. But here's, there are three things that I do. And the primary one I want to cycle back to because I, I think this is something that's very, very important. Many of the saints said that to con contemplate the four last things, we must do that daily. If one does that daily, then it keeps you anchored in where you are in the cosmos. And so it's the contemplation of the four last things. It's the acknowledgement of the four last things. And if, and if you don't know them, I'm going to ask you to look them up. Um, I'm not going to give them to you because the daily contemplation of the four last things now brings me to the second one. The second one is I spend some time in front of a picture of the sacred heart, gazing into his eyes and gazing into his sacred heart, knowing that it is that face, those eyes that I will meet at particular judgment. And I will have to answer. I will have to answer and say, I allowed someone with 
uh, blasphemous or heretical thoughts to broadcast or to talk without opposition, or I allowed someone to lead people astray. I allowed my priest to say certain things without me going to him in private and saying, Father, what you're saying is inconsistent with the Catholic faith. And so I look into the eyes of the Sacred Heart for a period of the day and, and have an idea of what my day looks like. And then I formulate, will I act think and speak and act in such a way that I can stand in front of that image of particular judgment, our Lord, and look into the eyes of the Sacred Heart and justify my actions. And then the third thing I do is I look at my daily schedule and I say, I'm going to meet with these people or be present to these people or these animals or these creatures. And I pray for them individually, I pray for myself individually, that we recognize the opportunities for virtue and to do the right thing and that we extend to one another the pure charity of God the Father through the Holy Spirit. And so those are the three things I do every day before we speak to anybody, before we do anything. I pray the Angelus and then, then take this moment um, because if we are instruments of God, then he's providentially placing us in times, places, locations where we will have the most salvific purpose. Beautiful. Angela, would you comment on that as well? No, I think that's, I, I, you know, one of the things I've learned to do is turn the television off, Marianne. I've really Excellent. blocked everything out now. All I do with my spare time, if I can, is I stay with my husband. But what he's doing, you know, he's six feet away from me. So Matt might be watching TV or a single program he puts on headphones. I, I'm spending all my time reading Insainu Yezu. Kyle, are you familiar with that book? Yes. What do you think of it? I think it's it's a good foundational work. It's it's uh, I, th I think that it's good in as much as it it grounds you. Uh, we don't need to get pulled away by the mystical. We don't need to be get pulled away by fads or by what's new and and you know the the news of anytime you're reading about our Lord and our Lady. Anytime you're reading about the saints, I think this is very very functional uh, formation and maintenance for the Catholic conscience. Is there a book that you'd recommend <coughs> at that beautiful time of the you know you've done your work you <laughs> you finished and now you want to kind of go to that beautiful quiet place with the Lord. What do you read, Kyle? Um, actually, I, it, it may seem uh, counterintuitive, um, but I'm a warrior at heart. I read Spiritual Combat, Dom Lorenzo Scopoli. Wow, um, classic. And and it never it never disappoints. It's always fresh. It's always something new. I look back on the day and realize uh, I could have done this better. Um, and so it's a it's a constant. It's it's as if the if, if I'm a warrior all day long out on the field swinging the saber, the swinging the sword. I need to sharpen it every night so to uh, to bring the edge back. Excellent. One of the things I want to ask you, Kyle, we only have three minutes. What is the website that people can go to to listen to the talks that you mentioned at the recent retreat? I would. I don't know the exact website. It's St. Joseph's Church in Asheville. Uh, and so I think that if you go there, they've got a button you can click to, to access the talks, uh, as well as Father Ripperger's talks. It's a parish mission that just completed. And then this coming Tuesday night, I do a Lenten reflection for them uh, as well. Then, and they've made it uh, available to the public. And so we'll, we'll do some Lenten exercises or, or talk about some possible Lenten exercises this next Tuesday. Um, 
and so I don't have the exact website, but I think you can find it if you if you Google it with that, or better still, if you uh, duck, duck, go or, or yeah. use one of the other one of the other search engines. And so um, then I wanted to also promote this prayer uh, through www.catholicprayercards.org, uh, and it is Most Holy and Ever Virgin Mary, Exterminatrix of Heresies, pray for us and protect the church from all error. Um, I think this is the prayer for our times. It's a, it's a very, very poignant, very important prayer. Um, I know that it's, it's interesting if you've ever been around uh, a monastic group or a group um, and if the, the that are praying, if the leader makes a mistake, then very simply the group just all goes silent, and the leader immediately real, realizes, okay, I made a mistake, I skipped a line, or I did this, and so their silence is their correction. Our prelates are not; they're beyond that. They're not looking back. They're not listening. We're going to have to speak. We're going to have to say. Father, Cardinal, Archbishop, we can't go there. We're, we're hearing what you're teaching, but it's just simply inconsistent with, with our Catholic faith. Amen. Kyle, we have a minute left. Would you lead us in a prayer? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord God Almighty, Ancient of Days, Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, Holy Spirit, vivifier, renewer, giver of life, to you, triune God, we pray. Watch over us, protect us, give us strength to do your will in all things. In Christ's most holy name, amen. In the name amen. of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you, Kyle. God bless you, Marianne. Till we meet again next First Friday. been listening to WSFI 88.5 FM, Reclamation Theology. A copy of this broadcast will be made available at WSFICatholicRadio.org.